Um, and it is a long, boring ride. Uh, Aloran spends his time brooding. Uh, Arbron spends all of his time looking at the data. Uh, and Elfangor spends his time just talking with Lauren. A lot. And they, like, they learn everything they can about each other. And clearly, there is bonding. It's very good, is the thing. It is very good. I love this little comment about, like, Lauren did a thing called sinning. It's funny to see it first. But of course, it's very practical for a two-legged creature. Like, he's, he's, it's so, it's so much fun to me to see how he'll swing from, like, condescending and pitying to being impressed by and thinking, wow, your body actually does have its own way of making sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the, the waffling back and forth between that, and, you know, between the and like arrogance and just like that. Wow. This is like a whole new entire species to me of a body plan that I had never seen before. Mm hmm. Yep. Um, and then Lauren just like, Hey, what's your mom like? And he's just like, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, because, uh, she asked, she asked if, if Elfanger's mom worries about him. And he's like, Well, I, I guess um, my father doesn't because he was in the military. So he understands. Um, and Lauren says that, uh, you know, humans just had a war, the Vietnam war. Um, that's what happened to my dad. He was in it. He didn't get killed or anything, but he kind of, I don't know. After he came back, I guess he couldn't cope with reality. So he left. I saw Lauren's stock eyes swivel to look at Lauren. It was practically the first time he'd even noticed her. You have wars, I ask, but you don't have space travel. Who do you fight? Chapman arrived then, having arisen from a nap in his quarters. We fight each other, he said. He winked one eye. So, Lauren, daddy went nutso, huh? Another whacked out nom vet? I guess some guys can't take it. And then a Lauren speaks up uh, and says, have you been in a war, human? Uh, and Chapman's like, no, that war's over. Uh, and Lauren's like, then be quiet fool those who have been to war understand those who have not have no opinion worth hearing even those who return from war may never really come home yeah uh, and this part like i remember reading this as a kid and like it really impacted me because like yeah my grand my my grandpa was a world war ii vet and i didn't know Same. him very well but i would hear a lot of the stories from my dad about grandpa and his guys and dad actually did work with a World War II vet for a little while who had an exchange very similar to this with one of their coworkers where he nearly laid the guy out because the guy was getting mouthy and mm -hmm. the, he basically got in the guy's face and said, have you ever fought? No, then shut up. You don't understand unless you have been in the fight. Like you, you don't get it. Like there's no way to describe it. There is no way to understand unless you have been in the fight. Right. Yeah, there's a certain way. Um, it's not <clears throat> quite the same thing, but there's, I don't know if it is as quite, because the American, America's, the US, United States America's relationship with its military and military history is oh, a easy. lot. Yeah. Um, but the way the people in the UK of a certain age bracket talk about World War Two is very, <laughs> it pisses me off a lot. But the people who actually lived through the war and things like that and the way they talk about it versus people that came after just like, oh, yeah, well, we got through this. We can get through anything. And you see it a lot in times of crisis, obviously, yeah. with Brexit and then the uh, COVID situation, ongoing mm -hmm. pandemic. And it's like 
just like, oh, well, we made it through this. And all the fucking people who are there just like, bitch, what do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like people that have a set idea of what they think living through something is like. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I do while, like, mm, before. I was going to say, clearly um, we have this reaction made of anger. Like there is that sort of a Lauren's reaction of like um, those who have not have, have no opinion worth hearing. Specifically, yeah. I presume on war is mm-hmm. in that instance. But also you can see somebody just like, I don't want to hear from people that don't know, because like the way he talks to Alfangor later in the book when Alfangor won't do things. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just like he's very much still in that mindset because yes. he is traumatized. Mm-hmm. Completely so. Mm-hmm. But like it's just a lot and it's very real to yeah. read, which is why I wanted to put that warning up top. Yeah. Definitely. So um, it's, it's like there there are some moments in this book that hit really hard and this was one of them for me because it was like yeah. revealing that you know like what he did was awful and horrible and complete, and you know like his trauma is completely his fault. He has earned it. But at mm. the same time it's like he is paying for it every waking second of what he did. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting after that is like Chapman just sort of like okay whatever. But he's clearly intrigued by what Aloran said. And I think, again, that way that people valorize war veterans in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a whole pedestal thing while also like not supporting. Just that's why yeah. I get very shitty and get my hackles up about things like the, um, the po- whole poppies thing here in the UK. And it makes mm-hmm. me think of, I know this is like, but uh, A White Christmas, that whole song. What do you do with a general mm-hmm. when you stop being a general? Like. Yeah, yeah, you'll wine and dine him, you'll praise him, you'll trot him out for parade. But then what do you do mm-hmm. with him when he needs help? What do you do yeah. when he needs rescue? Like, then you ignore him, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that sort of ties into what this is, because like, and Al, because Al Fangle's like, um, what? Because clearly he's never told, like, what he says, just like, he's never heard of an Andalite warrior, Andalite warrior coming back from the war unable to cope. Because Why would Aloran feel such sympathy? It's just like it totally is beyond his scope of thinking that a person could yeah. be so traumatized by war because yeah. it's just not talked about in Andalite culture, yeah. or maybe because it's not been this bad before. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we know that Aloran specifically is just mm. kind of shuffled off to the side in quiet disgrace. No one knows what he did except the people who were there and the higher ups who have access to that information. But like, it's not knowledge. And we learn later and we experience it later when we read the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, what exactly it was that Aloran did. And it's Mm -hmm. fucking heinous. Mm -hmm. Like it is. And not even for a moment. Basically, it makes war crimes look pretty uh, mild compared to. Yeah. Yeah, it oh, it becomes do. this upsetting thing. Just like no, the higher up knowing what Aloran did, keeping it under wraps, which we see time and time mm-hmm. again, is the Andalite way of doing things. Just like, yep. oh well, that will cause upset. Best not to let anybody know about that. But uh-huh. they keep Aloran and his super slick ship, which I was just like, dang, that does sound cool. Um, <laughs> because they need to keep an eye on him. What? Because they can't send him home because he might tell people what he did. Mm-hmm. probably and that is it, yeah it's just like oh we better keep him around because we can't let him go home mm-hmm. well not just that but like the older i am and like the more history i have studied over the years mm. 
the more the Andalite culture really reminds me of, to an extent, imperialistic Japan. Because, like, mm -hmm. some of the vibes I get is that, like, yes, they keep him around, but it's in the hope that he will die in the war. He will remove yeah. himself mm -hmm. from the problem. Like, they're hoping, like, my feeling is that, like, they hope he will go off on a suicide mission. Like, yeah, they haven't handed him a katana and go told him to go, like, hey, do the honorable thing. But, like, they've shuffled him to the side. They put him in the back, yeah. and now they're sending him on errands where, hey, you know, maybe if they're lucky, he'll goof up, you know? Yeah. It's, I think, too, it's, uh, I very strongly, um, get the vibe that, like, Aloran has no regrets for what he did. Mm -hmm. He wishes it had succeeded. Um, he regrets that it doesn't work. That it didn't work. Yeah. The the yeah. thing that has traumatized him is not making that heinous decision and like doing that. The thing that has traumatized him is just the fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that he failed, and uh, now he's facing his failure every time he fights a Horkbajir, like. It, it's mm -hmm. not because, like, oh, I made this terrible choice, and now I have to live with that choice forever. It's, it's like I see my failure every day. I see my failure. Um, if it hadn't been for those meddling kids, like <laughs> I would have gotten away for it. Um, yeah, every time, a, every time one of his fellows dies, every time a warrior dies to hork the Jeer blade, that's yeah. his mm -hmm. fault. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um. Yeah, and so he he's just holding on to so much anger, especially mm -hmm. um, at the people around him that he thinks don't don't have the stomach to do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and so he has no patience for that, and he's yeah. just very angry. Um, mm -hmm. He and gambled what, and he lost exactly, and that's what uh, that's what like his deal is really. Um, and that's why he's kind of brooding and quiet and sullen, um, is because uh, he recognized that uh, in some ways, if if his gamble had paid off and the the military, Andalite military was able to sweep it under the rug with some cover story, because, you know, they fucking would have. Um, yeah, blame it on the Yerks, most likely. Yeah. Then, like, Aloran would be labeled a hero. And celebrated. But he's not. And and he can he can see that similar to how the Andalites use everyone. Uh mm -hmm. they're they're willing to throw him under the bus to do the hard, dirty thing. Uh but they're not willing to own up to it. Yeah. See, Jake, you're doing better than some people, at least. So far. <laughs> <laughs> there are parallels. It hurts. You say it, out, say it out so. No bigger. <laughs> this is foreshadowing. Who knew? Well, some of it you get to see here in this book with the yes. thing that happens later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have this moment about um, Lauren is like, they're just like, okay, well, you're going to erase our memories. I might as well ask questions. And Chapman's just like, why are we answering that question? Here we go. This is a better question. How about 
we make a deal. And yep. we start seeing this side of challenge. Just like, come on, you guys could get so much money for this tech on earth. It's just, and Hang's like, what will we do with money? He's just like, okay, forget money. How about power? And we're Andalites, not Yerks. We're not interested in ruling other species. Oh, well, that's good, I guess. Yeah, that's a good thing. But we could bring peace to earth. No more ways. And that's before that, uh, no more wars. And before we can get cut off and say, oh, no, we don't do that anymore. Um, Arbron has uh, cracked this data. Yep. And <laughs> I appreciate Alfango being like, I was glad to be away from Chapman. He bothered yep. me. He was completely different than the human Lauren. She's like, yep. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the two kind of polar opposite sides of humans. Um, but what Arbron has found is something that is showing, is um, extending a power field uh, that goes strongly through regular space and even into Z space. Uh, and the, I think that it's kind of hilarious because what the thing is, is a time matrix, um, just a hugely powerful weapon that because it is, it's, it's a time machine. Um, but like, it's Elfangor and Arbron both are like, this is impossible. Like, this isn't something that can exist. This is like a fairy tale. There's no way that the Skritna managed to find this thing. But Especially also, like, they look at you know. when they see when they see these, uh, like the power lines and the data f- that imply that there's a matrix on board. They know immediately that it's a matrix. And I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> well, I suppose it's, it's like theoretical the physics, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's similar to how, like, they know about, like, hey, you know, like, don't fire two be don't cross the beams, you know, because <laughs> bad things will happen. Yeah. You know, it's like, maybe this has, maybe it has happened once, or maybe, again, mm-hmm. like, it might be part of their fairy tales, because they mentioned how, like, oh, that's just a fairy tale. So it's like, well, they, this thing already existed in their legend, and, like, a lot of the science fiction stuff that has become reality to us, yeah, it could be something similar, you know, like, Star Trek and the risk communicators. They were like, oh, yeah, that's a fun idea. And then, you know, like t- 15, 20 years later, we now have wrist phones, you know. Mm-hmm. I do like how Jade puts it because it, it, it does sound like, you know, something that a mathematician or a physicist would propose exists because it, like, I don't know what it means or why it would exist, but if we use this thing, in these equations, all the math works out. Yeah. So, like, it's, it makes sense. And everybody else is like, yeah, but that doesn't, nothing like that exists. Well, it's like, <laughs> it's like the idea of wormholes, you know, like, I don't think we mm-hmm. have, I don't think humans have yeah. actually found any wormholes, but the, mm-hmm. the idea is there or, oh gosh, mm-hmm. what is it? Uh, what do they call it? The dark matter theory mm-hmm. where it's like, there's like, all the space that should be in our universe but isn't is actually like dark matter parallel to ours kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like we don't have proof of these things, but the mathematics are there. The theory yeah. is there. They could exist. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the dark matter uh, comparison is really good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the Skritna, the second Skritna sh- ship, the one that got away, has a time matrix on board. And 
they look the the two cadets look at Aloran and they're like, "What the fuck do we do?" And Aloran looks, uh, like Elfanger says it looks as if Aloran is suddenly ten years younger. Like his eyes are alight, he's energized, and he's like, "All right, we're going after them right the fuck now," um, because he has a reputation that he needs to redeem. Um, and, and also, it's a huge weapon that could be used against the Yerks. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a weapon that could go back and make his plan succeed. Or that. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, they, they basically, they look at Lauren and Chapman, they're like, well, sorry, we gotta go after this thing. It's gonna be a while before we can get you back to Earth. And, <laughs> and Lauren and Chapman are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um... Which, to be fair, is a very just like, this is war. That takes yeah. priority. But also that arrogance, just sort of like, yeah, no, we don't do it doing this. Yeah. Your lives are way less important. Yeah. Um, um, so they, um, Barbara and Elfangle tear apart this machine and they figure out um, where they've got to go. Yep. The last place they would want to go. Yep. Uh, the Taxon homeworld. Uh, and I appreciate we have this moment where we talk about originally it's Aloran and the um, Alfangor mm-hmm. and Arbron just talking about it, thought speak privately. And Chapman calls him out and is just like, yo, I can see you're having a conversation. Clean <laughs> me in. Yep. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And Alfangor's like, this doesn't concern you. And Chapman's like, uh, you're, we're here. You're taking us into the danger place. Mm-hmm. Like, what? We're we're involved. Yeah, um, and he, he points out like you're taking us into danger, and Lauren is also like, "Are you?" Yep. And Lauren gives Elfangor the okay to say, "Yes, they are." And we have this explanation about what it is they're looking for. Um, Lauren isn't sure how a time machine could be a weapon, and Chapman gets it immediately. So. Um, and he points out just like, yeah, I can see why you guys want it because if the other guys get it, you're fucked. He doesn't say fuck, yeah, but, you know. Um, uh, I just sort of like, and I got this moment where Hellfang's just like, I really don't like this guy, and he's just like, look, if it's bye bye Andalites, it's bye bye everybody. I like that he gets Cha- like right in his face too, and Chapman scumbag that he is does not back down she's like mate in some more beautiful foreshadowing maybe i'm with the wrong aliens chapman sneered no. maybe it's too bad i wasn't grabbed by the yurks they sound like the winners motherfucker Bad of god but um at that point Aloran just laughs and just like you might be right but you better hope you're not because i've seen what the yurks do to captive planets he was there when the Yerks took the Hawkbridgeia homeworld. Pray to whatever primitive gods you have, human, that the Yerks don't ever take your world. Yeah. Mm. And this is news to Elfangor and Arboron. Yeah. Because the military didn't say shit about what Aloran even did. <laughs> they just like, oh, Aloran? Yeah, he was in the military. Oh, what did he do? He got disgraced. Why? <laughs> and it it's clarified again which we've had uh acts referred to as well in previous Mm -hmm. it's like the loss of the hawk is the single biggest disaster in our war with the yurks the hawk were the slave warriors of the yurk empire now because we failed to save them yeah 
Um, At least they're um, honest about that. Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah, so they're about to come out of Z space. And the plan is, much to the horror, is that they need to morph taxons. Yep. Which means that they first need to find some taxons. Uh, but they are. Uh, what they do is they uh, they encounter as they come out of Z space a slow moving transport ship. Mm-hmm. Um, easy enough for them to uh, disable, dock with, acquire the morphs. So, uh, well, it turns out to not be quite so easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So, so they do uh, disable it. Uh, Arbron does a really good job shooting the engines out, um, and they jam their communications and board the ship and then a brawl breaks out basically they're shooting everywhere um we get a little bit of explanation of shredders uh which have six settings um (laughs) (laughs) one level one delivers a mild charge level six will blast a hole through 10 feet of solid alloy level three wouldn't kill most creatures but it would certainly knock them down so hard you wouldn't get up for days uh Mm -hmm. so you know die die faster Um, um, but they end up in a, it it goes from a shooting fight to basically a hand to hand fight because Aloran doesn't want them to destroy the ship with shooting. Fair point. (laughs) Fair point. Would defeat the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have this moment where, um, Elfang, Elfangus yelled up to stop thinking. Well, he decides he's got to stop thinking. He didn't pause to think I just jerked my tail and is able to uh, uh, take the arm off a taxon, which is still holding onto the dragon beam. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we get uh, this first description in the book about how these retreating taxons are moving back, but also um, they, as, they, as they are retreating, they tear chunks of flesh off their dead companions yep. to eat. Um, and we have this moment where the uh, we think it's okay, but it turns out the it is not just taxons on this ship. Yep, the Hork Bajir come forward. Fucking a lot. So just like, well, well, it's been a while since I fought a Hork Bajir. I'll take the two big ones in the middle. <laughs> yeah, he's just so confident and ready to throw down. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, and. Elfangor actually uh, gives into his training. Um, he enters a kind of uh, Zen state, I guess. Zen meditative state, almost. Um, that's described to not only be mental but physical in terms of just like, like he's charged with electricity, and he fucking tears these Horkbajir down. Like he kills the one in front of him. He kills one of Aloran's, uh, and then kills Arbron's. And then, and then he comes to, realizes what he's done with Arbron and, and Aloran kind of looking at him like, shit, Whoa. dude. Uh, and he runs away. The whole time. Yeah. And, and he runs away into the Jahar, uh, and is horrified. And Lauren comforts him. Uh, in a hug. In a hug. He presses his face into her hair. Yep. Yep. I'm holding up my hand like this gesture of 
<laughs> like poetic <laughs> cinema. <laughs> I think, oh, hang on, let me find it. <laughs> I'm like flipping through the book. Mm-hmm. And like immediately he pulls him, almost immediately he pulls himself free because he's like, I'm, a, I'm not a child. I'm a, okay, I'm a cadet. Okay, oh. here's the line. It was the human Lauren who ran to me and put her strange human arms around my chest and with one hand pressed my face into her long golden hair. See, it's moments like this where just like, I don't know how they expect us to believe that Lauren and Chapman are as young as they're that later described. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's too adult. Like, we yeah. have seen great acts of compassion and unpleasantness from young people. And I know mm-hmm. the David books are coming. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like. That's an emotional awareness and maturity that, yeah, we've seen Cassie do similar stuff, but it does not read that way. No. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. This is this is someone who has had experience with comforting, like, like just to d- deep dive for a moment here, her dad was a veteran who was so traumatized and did not get the help he needed that he disappeared. And I think it's even implied that he might have, he, he either ran away or he might have killed himself. Mm-hmm. So, like, of course, Lauren's reaction is he just fought. He just did something awful. He is going to react like my dad. He needs comfort. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, and you know, that's another thing I might say is that even if they don't appear to be older, trauma can make a person seem older than they are and lauren is traumatized even if it is not the kind of trauma that comes from being in a war true it is the trauma that comes from you know like being left behind or seeing what that war did to your family Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah you raise a good point i suppose it's just reading her behavior in comparison to that of the animals yeah yeah like the way she acts and the questions she asks and things like that. Yeah, because the animorphs um, are traumatized from day one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it and you know there there is an argument to be made about how trauma affects different people differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and and I think you're right that she probably does seem older than she is, but I think she is also written older than uh-huh. they say she is. Like yeah. I think it's one of those things where like she's maybe eighteen, nineteen. And she seems like she's 25. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, Alfango pretty much pulls himself back, feeling ashamed, sees that Arboron has been hurt. Uh, Lauren's tying up the surviving Hawk Bajir. Um, uh, Lauren asks if Alfango's okay, okay, and he's just like, of course I'm fine, but obviously he's not. Um, and when he says that, she goes to help Arboron as well. She tears the sleeve off her shirt and wraps it around his arm. Um, but Lauren's just like, you'll be okay. Get up. We got to go. We got to do this. Yeah. And when, uh, neither of them get up, he's just like, it's the first time or your first time you fought well, both of you. It's always hard the first time and it never gets easier, Mm -hmm. but I need you both now. It's these little moments of him, like acknowledging, like. Yes. He knows. He knows what this is like. He knows kind of what they're going through. But it's like, look, you have yeah. to 
move past this. Like, yeah, they won't survive if they don't. You know, it's just that's that yeah. cut and dried. Yeah, I think I think K.A. do honestly a really good job with a Lauren because uh, I am constantly vacillating between like sympathy for him and hating him um because like he he has these moments like this where he's like understanding and um you know trying to trying his best to help mentor these basically kids under his charge and then he does what he does in like a couple pages and it's like motherfucker you do not make it easy to like you um it's nice because like yeah, yeah, he's he is a complex person. Like people mm-hmm. are very rarely black and white, you know, like that's yeah. like I know you guys have talked about this in other books, but I think that's one reason Cassie was like always my least favorite mm-hmm. of the Animorphs because of her her black and white view on the world yeah. always clashed really badly with me cuz like it's like the it's just it's not like that. Like she's like I grew up out in the country. I grew up around animals too and I never had that like I don't know, like dichotomy of like, oh, but the predators are evil. It's like for me, it's like no, they're just they are trying to live too. That does not make them evil creatures. Meanwhile, Cassie's over here like, ah, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, and then you have a character like Alaran, uh, who's just he is complex. Like he he is not a good person, but you kind of like throughout the various books we get to see him in, you kind of see how he became that way. Mm-hmm. So it's like. You can dislike him, and I don't feel guilty for disliking him at certain times. But at the same time, he is a good, sympathetic character. He is a good, complex character Mm -hmm. who makes you sit and think and actually observe, you know, that war really can take someone who at one point, like, he might have been a really good leader, a really good teacher. But because of what he turned himself into, for the sake of the war, he becomes this sad, angry militant person yeah what's up this is your boy jade and i'm having a lot of feelings about benny lafontaine right now <laughs> and i want richard to not fucking listen to this <laughs> <sighs> yeah yeah uh i like too that uh with what happens to him it's never it's never seen as like just desserts no, no, it's always no. portrayed as like an awful, horrible, like, even for what he did, yes. he did not deserve this. Yes. Uh, so they take control of the ship. Um, uh, basically, they tell the humans to stay on board the Jahar. You know, Will, uh, Lauren is, con- is concerned for a little bit because she is worried that Chapman will try to do something. Do something. And also worried that, like, they these andalites won't come back yeah <laughs> which is fair mm-hmm. um and uh she has this towel or a tick about biting her lower lip mm-hmm. uh, and i know that's a common tick as mm-hmm. it were but also i remember tobias doing that in book one just saying <laughs> just saying uh, and yeah and uh Elfangor kind of reassures her and says, like, look, we can tell the computer not to allow anyone besides us to fly the, the 
ship. It'll be fine. Here, take this take this shredder on the DL, uh, and you can use it if Chapman makes trouble for you. <laughs> yeah. Um uh and then she kisses him on the cheek. She does. So cute. Give her boy a love it. Okay, it was a very odd thing to do. Not something any Angela would ever do, and yet I did not mind it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet you fucking didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lauren Arts Alfangor, whenever you have the time to join us. <laughs> uh and so they they lock up the Jahar, which is the, the ship that they came in on, um, and get ready to find the taxons to morph them. Mm-hmm. Uh they had Shove the taxons and the badly wounded Horkbajir into the cargo hold of the ship. Um, when they go to check on the taxons, the taxons have eaten everything and are now are attempting to kill and eat each other. Um, and Aloran is trying to tell them to stop because uh, they need them to be alive in order to acquire them. But the taxons are not listening at all. Um, both caught up in the hunger and also uh they don't have the yurks in their heads anymore lauren says that this is how taxons behave when they are not controllers which isn't entirely true um and alfangra asks where the yurks went and uh lauren turns the lights on and they see that there are yurk pools here uh, just a bunch of tanks filled with yurks. Tens um, of thousands. Tens of thousands of yurks. Before um, we get onto the serious dramatic point that's about to happen, there's this mm-hmm. tiny detail that I love when you think about how Andalite physiology works, mm-hmm. which is when they move around, they have to be, keep, to be careful to keep their hooves out of the gore. Yes. Because just like, because otherwise you're going to be able to taste that. Uh, 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 uh. And another small side tangent, but mm-hmm. like one thing that does make me sad is that, um, like the, the like how the taxons immediately go to fighting each other once the yurks are gone. Mm-hmm. It's just it's another one of those cases where like me and Izzy and like a few of the others have talked about this. Like if the yurks didn't force like full control, it would be so interesting to see what they could be like as like. Serve like not service animals, but like allies as symbiotes to help people and other aliens who have situations that like something wrong with their brain that they can't control. Like, yeah. if a yurk mm-hmm. could have gone and helped that, like, you know, like if the tax on home planet really was destroyed, you know, like there could be a chance of like developing a symbiosis there. Like, they help control the hunger and the taxon's able to function as a living being again, you know, mm-hmm. if it just weren't for the, for the whole mm-hmm. like, you know, turning you into our slaves thing. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite things. I see it pop up on Tumblr periodically. It's just like uh, beneficial possession by ghosts or demons. Yes. And stuff like that. Uh, we also like made the joke um, in a recent recording of Dumb Kids, just like, if God, somebody being, yeah, just like, bitch, you live like this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the notion of a yerk being able to help somebody manage their chronic pain. Yeah. And stuff like that. Like being a symbiote rather than a parasite. Yeah. Good shit. Just, that's bugged me for years. Like there's so much like 
potential there. It's like if things had gone just a little differently, the Yerks could have become such a beneficial species to the galaxy. Like, hey, you know, we do need a host body, but we can help you with your problems, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're just like, no, we're just going to take it because that's what we were taught. You know, that's what we saw was happening. Yep. Uh, yep. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, and here we have an illustration of, if it wasn't already clear, uh, what kind of person Lauren is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells, or is it when Elfanger asks, what are we going to do with these yurks? And Lauren's just like, we seal the bridge and we open the outer hatch. And it takes Elfanger a moment to realize what's happening, mm-hmm. or what he's being asked to do. And it's just like that it would kill these yurks, the cold of space. Yeah. And Elfanger's just like, we can't do that. And it's almost like trying to see if Elon was joking. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and absolutely not. It's just like, that's the order. You obey the orders. And yeah. Elfango strongly objects to killing helpless prisoners, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, they are yurks and this is war. Would you rather wait till they have tax on bodies? It's like, and this is such like a harsh moment because like, Alaran is right to an extent where it's like, what makes it better, killing them now or killing two creatures later? Like, yeah, sure, you can wait until they have a body and they can fight back, but then, like, you're killing something that you're killing two things in that situation, you know? Mm -hmm. Not that he cares about the taxons, but Mm -hmm. I just, I also love the the whole reaction here versus when Jake and the hot tub, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have... Yeah. And we have it like Elfangor's like taking the high ground. She's like, these are our prisoners, we can't, it would be murder. And Lauren's just like, be careful what you accuse me of. You're a child. I forgive you your impertinence this time, but you are here to learn not to question orders. And one of the things you'll learn, my idealistic Aerith, is the, that war is not about striking brave poses and playing the hero. War is about killing. Andalites do not kill prisoners, I said. Lauren laughed. Is that what they taught you in school? He laughed again. Well, child, I learned my lessons in the battle for the Hawk-Bajir world, not in a classroom. And let me tell you, the only thing that matters is staying alive. Besides, little Erist Alfangor, it's a little late, a little bit late for you to get delicate, not now with the blood of your enemies staining your tail. And Alfangor's just like, he can't disobey orders. This is a war prince. But is horrified. He finds this monstrous. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's a, it, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to carry on with the plot. So if you've got, no, please, Kit, go right ahead. It's just, it's like, it's moments like these where, like, I know, like, a lot of people would think, like, Aloran is completely in the wrong. Like, he is being the bad guy here. But, like, like as someone who reads, like, a lot of science fiction and fantasy and things like that, like, this moral quandary, it's like, Aloran is not completely in the wrong. Like, when you are yeah. in a war, when you are fighting, you cannot always take the moral high ground. Sometimes you have to do bad things. You know, he, like, I, I don't blame him for having this point of view. It's like, yeah, it's so easy to dislike this character. But in this moment, it's like, yeah, he's being, like, air quotes, the bad guy. But at the same time, he is also not being wrong. Yeah. And he's also like, look, you are children. You don't understand. Just he's he's, he's a, 
Yeah, he's also like, I get it. Your yeah. kids, this is what you were taught. This is, but it's time to grow up. This is reality. This is what war yeah. actually is. Yeah. He's, he is basically cutting down the glamour of the propaganda that these kids have been fed and showing them this is the truth. Like, this yeah. is mm-hmm. what you signed up for. Now you have to face that. And it's, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. a very, very, uh, practical mindset mm-hmm. because this is a person who recognizes that you know you can uh you can spray perfume and talk it up all you want but in the end at the end of the day war is about killing it's yeah. just about killing your enemy um and that's like that's the point is yeah. to kill the enemy and that's yeah. part of why it's monstrous but also don't pretend that that's not what they're doing yeah mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like that in place, like you chose to be a soldier, mm-hmm. you wanted to do this. That, that contrast with mm-hmm. Elfang talking about wanting to be a warrior, a war hero. Yes. And then this. He, and he, yeah. but, and Elfangor refuses. Yeah. And Aloran is like, I could execute you right now for disobeying me. And there's this face off between the two of them. And even if this is happening, Elfangor's like, oh, what am I, why am I even doing this? This is my enemy. But he, even then, he can't see himself just ending all that life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Arbron, who has been very consciously not getting involved in this conversation, like been struggling to keep his face expressionless, points out just like, hey, if we like vent the, <laughs> the hold, somebody on the planet will notice. Yeah. And we'll be investigated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, such a Marco thing to do. <laughs> um, and another, I'll, I'll, like, uh, oh. mm-hmm. go on, Kit. But like one more small note is like another like fiction series I read. They kind of pointed out that like it's it's so easy to like when you are in a war to turn people like thinking people with lives into numbers. Right now, these mm-hmm. yurks are not people; they are numbers. Um, Alaran is seeing the numbers, and Elfengor is seeing the people because he has not yet become ground into that war way of thinking where these are just numbers these are just more i have to fight for him it's like these are prisoners these are still people even if they are bad people even if they are evil things they think Mm -hmm. and are alive well it's about denying personhood isn't it even the language you use to talk about it like when you characterize Mm -hmm. your enemy as evil and things like that even like referring to taxons as it's granted like personal pronouns different sentience but that's the way we talk about things makes it easier to do stuff. And yes. it can go from a conscious thing to an unconscious thing. And that is how you change perceptions of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's like, why you, you it's meant, dangerous. You mentioned that like when, when I was growing up, like I said, I grew up in the country around animals. And like one of the big cardinal rules of growing up in the country was if Don't you are them. going to eat this animal, you do not give it a name. It is mm-hmm. just the cows, the heifers, that specific chicken. Like, you don't name it Bessie or, you know, Henrietta or anything like that. It's like, that is for food. You do not name it. You don't make it a person. Mm-hmm. About that, my sister decided to call me. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, yeah, like, just, again, yeah. like, depersonalizing them. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Arbron makes enough of a good point that Lauren's like, okay, and he's sucky as hell about it, but just like, okay, we'll wait till we've done the mission. Then we'll clean out. Then we'll clean out this filth. Yep. Um, and like Elvang's like relieved, but just like he's aware that he's made an enemy. 
Mm-hmm. And he isn't sure if he can count on Arboron. Yeah. Uh, and Alorin's just like, okay, well, time to acquire the taxons if that meets with your high moral code. And Alorin just, and Elfangle just like walks along, just like without hesitating, puts his hand on one of the taxons and acquires the morph. Yeah. Because he understands what a precarious position he's in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I do appreciate this fucking lie, which is just like, <laughs> this is just like Animorphs in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. My life, which had gone rapidly downhill at a shocking speed, was about to get much worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, I shouldn't laugh, but also there's a fucking mission statement for you. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, um, but yeah, so we get a little detail about what learning to morph is like mm-hmm. from uh, the training that uh, Elfangle had. Uh, you, they give you this, like, a small thing that, like, kind of like a monkey, I guess. Small creature called a jabala. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, before the climbs trees and eats leaves. And you have to morph this in order ah. to pass the morphing test. Um, and then uh, he learned to morph mm-hmm. a bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like I heard that some planets have many types of bird we only have three uh, and <laughs> since the caffet is the best it's popular with young cadets looking for fun and so he's talked about oh it was a wonderful experience I've always loved the idea of flying uh huh <laughs> here it is fuck off <laughs> this is gonna be now I know reading this is just gonna piss me off every time <laughs> this happens now it's great um, but that is all the morphing experience that Elfangor has that little mm-hmm. tree climbing creature and a bird. Yep. This is a taxon. Yep. Uh, it's gross. Uh, he loses his legs first. Mm. Uh, becomes a 10 foot worm. Uh, then gets the mouth and the compound eyes and the many, many legs. Um, and then the instincts. Uh, I never even felt the taxon's instincts well up beneath my own troubled and battered Andalite mind. I had no warning. All at once, the taxon was in my head. How can I even convey the horror? Have you ever felt in yourself some awful evil urge, some fugitive thought that you quickly snuffed out? Well, as I became fully taxon, I felt such a feeling, and it was not some faint wisp of thought, but a raging, screaming hunger. A hunger for anything living. A hunger for anything with a beating heart. My shattered taxon eyes saw two Andalites. My own people. I wanted to devour my own people. But taxons are not fools. My taxon brain saw and understood the Andalite tales. It knew they were weapons. It knew that it could not fight them. And that weakness gave rise to a rage that was like a nuclear fire in me. I was hungry. Hunger like no hunger any other creature can ever know. As I struggled to reassert my own identity, I understood why the Taxons had made their alliance with the Yerks. The Yerks had weapons, weapons to use to feed fresh, warm flesh to the raging Taxon hunger. The Taxons had given up their freedom, but freedom is nothing to a Taxon compared with that hunger. I really love this moment because, like, this is the moment, I think, in the series where you go from, like, hating the Taxons to understanding that Oh, yeah. they are victims too. Like they yep. didn't ask for any of this. Yep. Like, what kind of a choice is it to ask somebody to make? Like, either you can have this all-consuming hunger, or give up your freedom, and we'll help you control it. Like, 
Yes, mm-hmm. they can make a choice, but you can see why so many of them would go, yeah, no, absolutely. To not have to feel this all the time. Yeah. Sign me the fuck up. Yeah. And like, I really like that detail of just like being angry at other people for not being the, that kind of hungry. Mm-hmm. There's like, I can't eat you and you're not hungry. I'm so fucking mad that you don't know how hungry I am and all I yeah. want to do is eat and I can't eat you and I fucking hate it. Yes. Basically, they spend their whole lives being hangry, which I think was exactly what I was going to say. The same <laughs> like, thing. As like someone who was iron deficient and didn't realize it until she was 22, I can mm-hmm. sympathize. But yeah. It um, is just another tragedy mm-hmm. in this universe. This universe full of sad things. Yeah. Uh, he does get control of it probably because the andalites can't be eaten i do get the detail just like that the hunger never goes away even as they go down to the home world Mm -hmm. uh, he can feel it and he's grateful that lauren is back safe on on the jahar because he doesn't know if he could have resisted the hunger Mm -hmm. and not eaten her yeah um they land um and realize, and they're told that they're not going to be able to unload for like a half a day mm-hmm. because of how busy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Alaran the- here too, just like eyeballing the whole spaceport and being like, hmm, well, this is a lot busier than it should be. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we also get the reminder before they head out that your taxons on a taxon planet act like it mm-hmm. because, well, as we see, we're going to see very quickly. Um, Alfangle fucks up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He fucks like, up by not fucking up. Uh huh. Um, but yes, that notion just like, uh, and we get this observation just like the propaganda machine is working in full effect on the ho- on the Andalite homeworld, but the Yerks are being stopped, and the the Yerks are being beaten back. But this spaceport is evidence, and it's just one of several on one planet. Hmm. Um, but then, um, as they're taking all this in, a taxon slips from the maglev train track up ahead, hits the ground like a bag of goo is the canonical description right there. Mm-hmm. God, I hate the descriptions of how taxons explode on impact. It's so yeah. gross. Yeah. It's just never less gross. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the legs crumple, the worm body splits open and then every taxon in the area. Is like whoop, um, not rushing to help, rushing to eat the still living taxon, and uh, the taxon hunger in Alfanga just like pulp, like rushes forward, and he wants to, and he's before he even realizes the body's moving forward, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's overcome, but he's fighting it with literally everything he has. Um, and stops himself at the very last minute. Uh, and he's lost Arbron and Aloran in the madness. Uh, and he, he basically pulls himself back step by step. Um, and screaming the whole time, screaming the whole time. Um, watching these taxons crawling over each other to get at the fresh meat. Uh, and eventually he turns his body around and runs and runs and runs and runs 
Uh, he finds a shady spot under another ship and just kind of like cowers there using all of his strength to resist. Eventually it gets easier because there's no more meat left and everything has been eaten. Um, and the horde breaks up. Uh, but there's no sign of Arbron or Lauren anywhere. And, uh, as he's panicking because he's lost and alone on the Taxon homeworld and isn't entirely sure what he needs to do, a Hork-Bajir comes up towards him, uh, and says, Ah, oh, I'm Subvisor 7. You interest me. I'm very interested in any Taxon who will not eat fresh meat. Uh, and Subvisor 7 is here. Subvisor 7 is here. Subvisor 7 always is always here. here. Uh, <laughs> um, we get at the beginning of the next chapter, we get a bit about, uh, the reminder of if you're in morph for more than two hours, you, you get stuck. Um, and that this is an upsetting fact that will hurt us later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Elfangor is extremely concerned about this, uh, as he's being driven away from the spaceport. Um, by Subvisor 7 and his Hork-Bajir controllers. Um, but that fear quickly uh, escalates because the Subvisor, first of all, has a very incredibly strong suspicion that this taxon in front of, his, in front of him is an Andalite. Um, Elfangor doesn't do a good job of pretending because <laughs> he doesn't oh, know brothers. how to speak as a taxon. <laughs> so good. Um, and uh, Subvisor 7 is uh, is basically like, all right, well, you need, well, you want to resist me? That's fine. We have ways of getting information out of you. Uh, and basically uh, tricks Elfangor into revealing that he is, in fact, an Andalite because he's going to throw Elfangor into a horde of taxons. Uh, because if he's not going to demorph, then, well, what better way to get rid of a rebel than to just have them eaten? Uh, to be fair to Elfangor, he was going to chuck them into the taxons either way, Andalite or oh, no. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> yeah. And basically, the subvisor's like, well, you could tell me why you're here and what your mission is. You could demorph and let me infest you. Then I won't kill you. <laughs> I do appreciate this. If you didn't already know, just like, just like, fucking, some of us would just be like, you know, I'll be fucking sick. Andalite host. I'm on that shit. Any chance. Holy shit. This is an Andalite. This could be it. This could be a thing. You want to just let me have your body? Come on. <laughs> It'll Come be better on. than being eaten alive by taxons. Okay, but there's also like a moment before that that I love where like mm -hmm. you get like these little moments in the Animorphs series where characters will have like a feeling of premonition, like they know what's going to happen yeah. next. And like uh, Elfangor gets to have one here where it's like, um, I looked at the subvisor, I looked into his greedy, murderous eyes, and it was if I could see him clearly as if the veil of time was lifted. And I knew then that I would not die. Not yet, at least. I knew it deep in my heart because I knew that in looking at this creature, this yerk, I was looking at my true personal enemy. Like, that's just setting up the rivalry right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but 
but also Let- somebody up there pulling the strings and being like, hey, kiddo, here's a big important u- moment in the universe. Yep, just lifting the veil for a moment. Yeah. And, and it, I think in some ways, I think it is, it's similar to in number 11, how uh, Jake gets the really terrible feeling right before he makes a decision to go on the yes. mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he's put back in that moment, he's like, no, I'm going with that feeling. That was bad. And I think it's it's almost like that here, where it's like the shiver of an alternate timeline where mm-hmm. you let this person cow you into submission here. But knowing that he's not going to die here is enough to give him the strength to be defiant. Um, and uh, he says, my name is Elfangor Yurk, I said. Remember the name. You'll be hearing it again, but you will never take me alive. And then they throw him out of the maglev train. Uh, into the uh, taxon hive. Into the taxon hive. He falls uh, and explodes when he hits the ground. Um, he does start demorphing on the way down. Yes. Uh, he's de- good, good, strong instincts, kid. Yeah. Um, he immediately begins being et, uh, but is also demorphing as, as he goes, screaming the whole time, uh, t- trying to force his tail to demorph first he doesn't need eyes he doesn't need hands he doesn't need legs just give me my tail and if any andalite in all of history needed his tail i needed mine right now it is severely distressing how often these poor kids end up getting eaten yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um then his tail comes through uh right when he thinks that it might be the end and he's delirious from being eaten alive uh his tail comes through he kills the taxon he kills enough taxons to make them back away and he's able to finish the morph uh but then the subvisor is still looking down on him and tells uh his hork to control this to just shoot him uh (laughs) so he dives back into the taxon feeding frenzy and morphs the caffet bird uh and he's able to hide long enough that he can finish the morph and fly and he gets out he races as fast as he can back down the tunnel toward daylight uh and and makes it out um and then realizes that uh he needs to find Aloran and Arbron needs to find where the time matrix is there's still a mission still has to do things and i love this thing that he says here and there was life 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 never feels so sweet as when you've come right up against death and then he sees that the jahar is landing how the fuck did uh this happen we don't know we never actually get an explanation of how this is able to happen uh but it lands and all of the Yurks are clustered around because this is obviously not a Yurk ship. Uh, and Subvisor 7 is already on his way. But the hatch of the Jahar opens and out walks Chapman. Uh, and in what must be just the biggest bluff of his life, says hey hey relax you can put down the weapons i'm not here to fight i'm here to trade uh subvisor seven walks up to this to chapman 
uh, and says, it wants to trade. This strange creature wants to trade. So what do you have to trade, alien? Neither one of them actually understands the other because they don't speak each other's languages. Uh, but they still understand the intent. Perfectly. From one greedy bastard to another. From one greedy I bastard to love another. This. Like, it's so good. Chapman is awful. Don't get me wrong, but also like I kind of admire the sheer brass to just be like, yo, got a proposition <laughs> for you. Yep. Yeah. He Could goes back in the ship can. and comes back out with Lauren, who he has bound with wire. He pushes her in front of Subvisor 7 and says, that's what I have to trade. A whole planet full of that. And that's the end of book one, part, well, part one of the Andalite Chronicles. Originally, this book was released in three books uh, and then was later <laughs> compiled into the one. I always wondered about that. Yeah. Um, but that's the end of book one. We, we end with Chapman offering to trade Earth. Uh, Chapman? Yeah, there, there's a significant amount of discussion in the Discord about, like, who does this? Yeah! But, but like, from my perspective, one, Chapman is definitely not a full adult. He may be no. uh, definitely older than the Animorphs, but this dude's brain is probably still developing. Mm. Uh, I also... And, go on, Daniel, go. sorry. Please finish your point. Uh, he has been taken from his home by one set of aliens, then kidnapped by a second set of aliens, who then promised they were going to take him home, but instead dragged him halfway across the galaxy and then left him alone to go on what is basically a suicide mission deep into enemy territory uh, and leaving him on a ship that he's not supposed to be able to use with nothing. No resources, no ability to get anywhere. Uh, I don't really blame him for turning on the Andalites, uh, especially because he doesn't trust them. He doesn't trust their stories about the Yerks. He doesn't have any reason to. Yeah. And so he clearly thinks, like, all right, well, these Andalite motherfuckers are awful. Maybe the people they're fighting are better. Maybe they've just been telling me lies about the Yerks so far, and maybe I can use some yeah. leverage to trade. But then he, like, straight up offers, like, hey, y'all, you want to take over, like, my species? Hmm. It's the only leverage he has. Yeah. Also, like, I also think, like, I don't, he doesn't understand what exactly he's offering up. He doesn't get how bad the Yerks are. No. So, I'm not, so, yeah, again, I hear what Danielle said, like, and I agree with you. Like, he's making the best out of the situation that he sees it. He's yeah. just like, I might never go home. I want to go home. Or I want to get out of this as best I can. He doesn't realize what he's signing humanity out for when he makes that offer. No. Yeah. He's saying what he thinks he needs they want to, to hear. say. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they want to hear. And like, to be fair, like, we don't see the repercussions of this particular moment until like, oh gosh. Is it one of oh, the Chronicles or is the, or is Visser not yeah. considered one of the Chronicles? The Visser's, Visser's considered a Chronicles. Yeah. We won't yeah, see so it we don't like Visser. We don't see like the true repercussions until like a whole different book either. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fucking Chapman. 
It's 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 a lot. So again, that brings us to the end of part one. Uh, we're going to be releasing this one on a slightly larger schedule because it has taken us two and a half hours to get through this first part, and the next two parts don't let up. <laughs> so I do not. In the interest of not sitting in one chair for eight hours, uh, we're going to break this up. Kit, thank you so much for joining us for this recording. Thank you, <laughs> thank Kit. you for allowing this me to come great. on. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Um, I know you do your Kit Sundays. Uh, yeah, Kits. I do a something called a closed species, which is a species I designed. They're basically foxes with dessert-themed tails and bodies, and they're called a Kit Sunday. And you can find info for them on my Twitter, which is, again, Kitsy in a box, K-I-T-S-I-I-N-B-O-X on Twitter. Okay. Uh, excellent. Uh, my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. I nearly plugged my own Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, one. You can also find them on their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FTLcast on Twitter. I highly recommend it. Um, and you can find here, listen to them on Dumb Kids Playing Hero, which is the Animorphs-inspired actual play podcast that we play together. Um, and you can find that on Twitter at DKPHpod. And my co-host has been Danielle. You can find them on Twitter and on itch at RedtailedHawk90 if you want to play one of their games, including the uh, free Idiot Teenage of the Death Wish because we don't want to get them sued by Scholastic. It's a good game. It's what we play in our Animorphs actual play podcast. Uh, and you can also... Hear them playing the awesome Wine Evans on The Room Where It Happened, their home podcast. That's at RoomwarePod on Twitter. Uh, let's do one more clap. Yes. Do I need to pull up the time thing again? Please. Yes. Okay, let me grab that. Okay. All right. 50, uh, uh, 20. 20. <laughs>